Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. So let's just do this question over here. We went over this already, but let's do it together. So which of the following is going to be correct? All right. So this is going to be dual control modes. The ones we're going to go over are SIMV, PRVC, pressure regulated volume control, and FAPS, which is volume assured pressure support. And let's just do this first question and tomorrow we'll pick up at these dual control modes. So mark the correct answer. Is it A, all volume VAC, all breaths are always triggered by the ventilator. How's that sound? That's not right because it's assisted and controlled. So this is gonna be wrong. How about B, in volume synchronized intermittent mechanical, Ventilation SIMV, the ventilator delivers a volume for every breath initiated by the patient. That doesn't sound right because there's also going to be, you know, the pressure support part of it. So, no, that doesn't sound right. In SIMV, pressure support breaths can be added to spontaneously initiated breath. Now, that sounds pretty good. So, C is definitely in the running. D, in assist control ventilation, the patient's work of breathing is increased compared with SIMV. Now, what does everyone think about that? You know, in SIMV, it's going to be full support plus some partial support. So if you're asking when you're going to work a little bit more, it's going to be when you're on SIMV because of the, you know, the partial support, the pressure support that's going on over there. So this looks a little what? Backwards. I don't like D. Or E, in a pressure assist control, a target minute ventilation is assured. That can't be right because the minute ventilation is going to be what? Dependent. It's going to be variable. So what's going to be the right answer over here, everyone? Did you say it? That's right. It's going to be C. And now we're going to be talking about PRVC, pressure regulated volume control. Now, when I hear this mode of ventilation, many of you would be like, yeah, that's my jam. That's what we use in the medical ICU all the time. And that's true. It's a very common vent mode. Now, does everyone know how it works in the back end? Probably not. Does the boards love talking about PRVC? The answer is uh, yes, they do. So it is it an advanced dual control mode. And like the name implies, there's gonna be pressure because it's pressure regulated and it's also gonna be volume controlled. So usually when I'm in a hurry and I'm teaching my my fellows, I say on the outside, it looks and smells like volume control. Why? Because you're setting a title volume, but in the back end, it's a lot of pressure control. So to understand it even better, I put down in the red box, think of PRVC as choosing a target volume. You know what I mean? Because you're never always gonna get that volume, it's going to be adjusting for it. So you want to target volume instead of calling it like a tidal volume, which obviously when you talk about VAC, you are picking that tidal volume and that's the volume you're going to get. Okay. So when we talk about PRBC, I kind of put this little graph up here or diagram, whatever is the right word to use to kind of help you conceptualize it for the board exams. So when you use the PRBC mode, what happens 
at the first breath is that the first initiated breath that occurs on the ventilator is a volume controlled breath. And what does that mean? Is that you choose that target volume, right? And let's just make up a number right now. Let's make it like a 400, you know? So they're gonna give you a volume controlled breath of 400 mLs of tidal volume, and they're gonna measure a plateau pressure. And that makes sense to me because, you know, when you wanna measure that plateau pressure, it's, you know, conceptually easy to think about it when you're in a volume controlled mode. So you measure the plateau pressure and you get a value. They'll use that value for the next breath because remember, it's pressure regulated. So the next breath will use the value of that plateau pressure and will give yourself a tidal volume. So all that occurs in the test breath. And then that volume you get based on that plateau pressure that's now going to be your inspiratory pressure will give you a value will give you a volume and you'll compare that volume to what you set it to. So Remember we use, we'll kind of pick the tidal volume 400. So what happens if when you use that initial plateau pressure as your inspiratory pressure, if you are actually getting more volume, then you know what, that's too much pressure. We should decrease that inspiratory pressure. If you're not getting enough volume, what should you do? Maybe increase that inspiratory pressure. Or if you're really getting 400 and you, your target's 400, well, you're pretty good. We'll just kind of stay on the same road, you know? Now, if that was a little overwhelming, and it definitely can be, I wanted to break it down by using these graphs. So this is going to be one of the classic uh, uh, ventilators that we use in a medical ICU. And this is in the PRVC mode. And look at the first breath. I put it in this kind of red shading over here. You could obviously tell that it's going to be a volume controlled breath. Why? Look at the waveform for pressure. It kind of creeps up a little bit. So this cannot be pressure control. It has to be volume. Look at the volume line here. It's a straight line, classic volume control mode. And they're measuring a plateau pressure. How do I know that? Look at this, no flow. Look at this, no flow, no flow. So if you wanna do a plateau pressure, you gotta be in a no flow state. So they're gonna measure the plateau pressure here and they're gonna use that plateau pressure as the inspiratory pressure for these next breaths that are gonna be what? Pressure controlled breaths. So I use the number 400, so 400 set right over here. So if that still is hard to conceptualize, check this out. I did this, boom. I put some numbers in here. So it's still going to be 400 down here. It's going to be my target volume, right? So we measured this plateau pressure and this is going to be a volume controlled breath. How do I know that? Look at the pressure waveform kind of curves up there. So the plateau pressure is 22. And how do I do a plateau pressure and in inspiratory hold? So based upon that, that 22 is going to be the inspiratory pressure for a pressure controlled breath, which happens next. Now look at this waveform for the pressure. It's a straight line up. And this tells me this is a pressure controlled breath. And this is a good way to compare it to a volume controlled breath. When you look at the pressure waveform, it's kind of like curved up here. So based on this plateau, we use this as the inspiratory pressure. What was my tidal volume? It's gonna be 390. So it really didn't hit the 400, which is my set tidal volume. So what I'm gonna do is increase the inspiratory pressure. So what I do, you can kind of tell that this peak inspiratory pressure is a little bit higher. It's 23 over here. And now I look at the tidal volume, it's going to be 404. So slightly above. So I guess in theory, I would 
guess, decrease the pressure or maybe just stay there the same. But this is the concepts I want you to understand when you use a pressure regulated volume control mode. And what's going to be the main difference between that and looking at the waveform for pressure control mode is that in pressure control mode, the peak inspiratory pressure is going to be the same for each one. When you use a PRVC, the peak inspiratory pressure could be higher, or it could be lower. So that's going to be one of the main differences that we are going to see. Good. So with that being said, let's kind of switch gears to a different type of dual control mode that you will never use uh, in real life and is probably going to be the wrong answer on the board exams. This is known as volume assured pressure support and it's also known as pressure augmentation and we did have a couple of questions about this early on in the course. Now just like the name says is that it's going to give you some assured volume and how does it work so this is going to be the pressure waveform up here so it's going to be a initially a pressure support breath and how do i know that is because you look at the pressure in pressure support you give an inspiratory pressure so it's going to go up to a set pressure <clears throat> and what's going to be the um you know the uh, dependent variable is going to be flow and volume so what happens is if you're not going to achieve a tidal volume and how do you achieve a tidal volume well you're going to set a tidal volume so when you talk about what are things you're going to set here you're going to pick your tidal volume it starts off with a pressure support breath and if the vent feels you're not going to achieve that tidal volume with the pressure support that you're initiating or you're giving well it switches to what a VAC mode, and that's why you see this switch here to a VAC mode to ensure you get that volume. Now, why would I want to do that to a patient in the medical ICU? I don't know. So, of course, but of course, like I was mentioning, that it's to help them get in synchronized with the ventilator. Maybe they're comfortable in this mode. I mean, it's for the greater good in some cases, but we just don't commonly use this mode. So when you want to identify this mode on board exams, look at the pressure tracing. This is a very unique tracing here. It starts off in a pressure support mode. Then it switches. You can see kind of like a shark fin over here to a volume control mode over here. So what are we going to set as clinicians? You know, um, we're not going to set the inspiratory time, you know what I mean? We only set the inspiratory time when it's pressure controlled. Remember, this is a pressure support mode. We don't set the inspiratory time itself. We are going to actually pick a minimum tidal volume that they're going to have. And of course, there's going to be some backup flow rate that we want also, because if it switches to a VAC mode, you not only pick the tidal volume, you got to pick the flow of how much volume over time is going to be going in. And now, because this is not a pure pressure support mode, you do have to set a respiratory rate. This is not pressure support. This is volume assured pressure support, which is a full vent mode. So of course you got to set what the respiratory rate. Now this one, I'm sure there's people listening right now like going, oh, PRV, APRV, so many, so many initials, airway pressure release ventilation. So I mean, when did this one really become popular? Many, many years ago when we talked about, you know, ARDS and some other modes to help out with uh, ARDS. Now, once again, remember, not one vent mode has been shown to decrease mortality in ARDS. So, you know, don't feel bullied or pressured into picking this um, 
form of ventilation. So when we use this, and I got to tell you, my respiratory therapist, who I love dearly, they're just amazing people. Um, they tend to like this mode, and they're always kind of like pushing me around to like use this mode. So stand your ground. Um, so when we talk about APRV, well, you're going to have a pressure high and a pressure low. And it's going to be, in, in layman's terms, it's going to be glorified uh, inverse ratio ventilation, where you have really, really long inspiratory times and a very short drop time, expiratory time to, you know, to, um, to, ex to exhale. So when you look at this, when you do APRV, you're going to have a pressure high, which is going to be in the blue over here, and it's going to have a time high. So you get a high pressure and a high time. Then you're going to have a low pressure, T low, and a low time. And notice how long the alveoli are going to be inflated. And look at that short drop time you're going to have over here. So when you go from the P high to the P low, this deflates the lungs and you're going to blow off a little carbon dioxide, a little. And conversely, when you go from the P low to the P high, it's really going to inflate the lungs, really going to recruit lots of alveoli. So when we talk about APRD, well, what really determines the frequency of inflation and deflation of the lungs and the alveoli? It's going to be a combination of the T high and the T low, T standing for time high and time low. So I gave some numerical values to kind of, you know, help you conceptualize this. So if the T high over here is set to 0.4 seconds up here in the blue, and the T low is going to be 0.6 seconds, if you add those two together, one full cycle of inflation and deflating the lung is going to be what? Six seconds. So in one minute, if you take six seconds in one minute, which is 60 seconds, you're going to allow 10 inflations and deflations to be completed within that one minute. So the key thing about this airway pressure release ventilation is spontaneous breathing. So a couple of things I want to just mention that you could actually spontaneous breathe on the pressure high as well as the pressure low. Many people don't realize you can actually spontaneously breathe on the pressure low. The reason why most people don't do that on the vent is because you're only down there for a very short period of time. There's really not much time to actually breathe during the P low. So historically in APRV, when they talk about spontaneous breathing, it's going to happen in the P high. They're going to have like a panting over there. And because of this panting that can occurs, and you notice when you look at this P high over here, it's a little choppy because there could be some panting going on there. And this is why that we tend not to use a lot of you know, paralytics and we don't tend to over sedate these patients. So they can have that panting on that P high and it can happen in the P low, but not usually in APRV because it's such a small time. So with that being said, everyone, let's talk about, you know, mark the true statement regarding by phasic ventilation, where did I come up with that, and APRV modes. So the reason why I put this here is there's something that's very, very close to APRV. It's called biphasic ventilation. It's also kind of like a inverse ratio ventilation per se, but there's some small differences. And let's see what the right answer is going to be here. So biphasic and airway pressure release ventilation are very close to each other. So how about choice A in APRV? Spontaneous breathing only occurs at the low pressure level. Well, that has to be what? Wrong. You definitely pant at the high. In biphasic ventilation, whatever that is, spontaneous breathing is not allowed at all. Well, that's going to be wrong. We talked about that. You definitely can do some spontaneous breathing at both the high and the low. 
C, neuromuscular mock, <laughs> I said that totally wrong. Neuromuscular blockers are often used with these modes. And I just kind of gave away the answer. I said, we try to use less sedation in these modes, especially paralytics, because we want them to have the panning. So C is going to be wrong. Large randomized clinical trials showed a survival benefit with these modes, especially in ARDS. I kind of gave that answer away because if it did, then all of us will be using these modes in ARDS, which we don't. Uh, APRV has a very short expiratory time, you know, for pressure release. And the answer is yes, that sounds amazing. The answer is going to be what? E. So I kind of explained myself in this, but what are they really focus on in this answer explanation is really what is this biphasic ventilation? So intermittent mandatory airway pressure release ventilation known as IMPRV and biphasic intermittent positive airway pressure, otherwise known as biphasic ventilation, are very, very similar to APRV. Specifically, they allow spontaneous press and have cyclic inflammations and deflations due to transitions of a P high and a P low. Now, what is the main difference between this biphasic and APRV, which is what is in this question, is that the T low is usually longer in biphasic. So when we talk about being able to pant and breathe during the T low, it happens more in biphasic ventilation and not as much in APRV because the T low time is very small. So um, another difference is that when we talk about inverse ratio, we more often use APRV than biphasic because in APRV, you really had the long inspiratory time with only a very short drop time, meaning the, the time low. And when we talk about biphasic ventilation, of course, there's going to be other names for it. It's also referred to as bivent, bilevel, biphasic duo path ventilation and remember back in the beginning of my lecture i said don't get caught up in the brand names i put a picture of a coca-cola it's the concepts that's more important than memorizing all these names i just wanted to mention that when we talk about biphasic ventilation that this is different than bi-level positive airway pressure which is a common non-invasive positive pressure ventilation which we talked about in the beginning of this lecture so once again, APRV, very, very short expiratory time versus biphasic ventilation. And when we talk about the spontaneous breathing, they usually occur in the time high phase, but can also happen in the time low phase in APRV, but there's just not a lot of time there to begin with. And the big thing about both these modes in the last bullet point here is that spontaneous breathing is an advantage of both these modes and thus minimal sedation and use of paralytics. So what about this question? In observational and randomized trials comparing this mode of ventilation to conventional modes of support, this mode, whatever this mode is, has been associated with which of the following? So let's look at this diagram picture ventilator curves down here so we see flow on the bottom this is going to be pressure on the top and you can see a very long time high and a quick uh short drop of time low so when i look at this mode of ventilation what is this going to be probably it's going to be what this aprb that we just talked about so which is going to be the right answer is it going to be a that in general a less use of dip, deep sedation and paralysis that sounds totally good, but let's read all of them. In APRV, uh, more ventilator-free days, especially if you're a trauma patient. I never heard of that. Uh, oh, C, improved survival. 
you know what? Everyone wants that survival data for ventilators and it doesn't exist. So C has to be wrong. And D, worse oxygenation? Well, the reason why I would use APRV mode to begin with is going to be that recruitment to distend these alveoli. You're definitely going to get better oxygenation, but of course it has side effects. So, you know, D is going to be wrong. The answer is going to be what? A is an apple. So there's something called NAVA. So NAVA stands for Neurally Adjusted Ventilator Assist. Now, anytime we talk about NAVA, there's two things you need to have the capabilities of doing NAVA at your institution. So you, your ventilator needs to have the software to do NAVA, and you also need something called an ED catheter. So what is this ED catheter? It's kind of like a feeding tube, literally. It goes in your stomach, and you could use it as a feeding tube, but it's gonna measure and sense the electrical activity of the diaphragm. So you need to have two things to do NAVA on your ventilator, the software, and you need to have this ED catheter. So a couple things I want you to know for the board exams, and I'll be honest right now, I don't use NAVA. I mean, it sounds great, but I just haven't used it. Many institutions don't use it. But, you know, um, NAVA is a measurement, and it's also a mode of ventilation. So I want you to realize that and it utilizes the electroactivity of the diaphragm because when you breathe, remember the brainstem, the phrenic nerve goes down, sends signals to the diaphragm. So we're sensing these electrical signals, you know, signaling the diaphragm. So it can be used in both invasive and non-invasive forms of ventilation, though historically, I, if I were to use it, it'd probably be in, in an invasive mode. And why do we do it a lot? It's for guided weaning, you know, maybe less sedation, and when we talk about it, it's all about monitoring the electrical output that signals the diaphragm to breathe. So I mentioned it's kind of like putting in an NG tube or a gastric tube, an OG tube, a feeding tube. And here's the catheter right here. And when you look at this x-ray, you can see the catheter going down right below the diaphragm into the stomach. So not everyone's going to be a candidate for NAVA. So who wouldn't be a candidate? They love these questions on the board exam. So let's say you're in a neuromuscular blocker. This is not gonna be the time to use NAVA. Once if you have esophageal bleeding, you can't put the catheter through the esophagus. Inability to place an OG or NG catheter, or if you're actively using a pacemaker for other cardiac reasons, well, this isn't gonna be the time to use a NAVA catheter. In summary for this, I just wanna say, I mean, why do you even consider doing it? Why am I teaching about it? It's because synchrony. It's all about making the patient more comfortable on the ventilator, you know, and by making more comfort, less chance of ventilator induced lung injury. And it may improve hemodynamics. It may result in less ventilator days. It may reduce the use of sedatives and paralytics. But the key thing here is may. So the jury is still going to be out. And the big thing in general is that because of this ED catheter, you could do bedside monitoring of diaphragmatic activity. So now we're really going to switch some gears. I'm going to talk about some measurements and troubleshooting the ventilators. So I want to spend some time talking about peak and plateau pressures. And I know many of you critical care folks listening today are like, oh, I got this. So I'm not going to spend overly too much amount of time, but I want to make sure you get the concepts because guaranteed they will ask you this on the critical care boards. So when I think about a you know, a peak and plateau pressure, you know, I really visualize the patient being on a ventilator in the 
VAC mode, the volume assist control mode. Why is because volume is gonna be what? The independent variable and the pressures will be dependent. So when you see these classic pictures that you see on the right here, you could tell this patient is what? A volume control mode. How do I know? Look at that straight line for volume and look at the pressure. It's being curved up there. So I'm gonna say this a thousand times. You can measure a plateau pressure in both a VAC and PAC mode. You just need a no flow state, but the concepts make sense when I teach them in a VAC mode. So what happens is, is that when you're on a ventilator control, a volume control mode, is that when you wanna get that volume in and all of a sudden it takes so much pressure to get that volume in, the question now becomes, is it a resistance problem to get that volume in there resulting in high pressures? Or is it a compliance problem in getting that volume in causing the high pressures? And how do you know which one it's gonna be? So what do you do? Because you're in a volume control mode, the peak pressure is gonna be what? High. So to measure a plateau pressure, you do it in inspiratory pause. So at the end of an inspiration, per se, a valve is gonna shut. <gasps> and it measures the inspiratory pressure, which is gonna talk about compliance of the lung. So this is gonna be a classic picture over here. We're in a volume control mode. There's gonna be your peak inspiratory pressure kind of curving up there. What happens? At the end of inspiration, you close the valve. Therefore, you're in this no flow state. You can see a, a straight line up here in volume. And then this first part that you're gonna be measuring from the peak to the plateau is gonna be resistance. And then when you go from the plateau down to the peep, that's gonna be about compliance. That's gonna be about compliance. And of course, in this patient, the patient has peep, so it's gonna end here at peep. So what happens is that when you measure that plateau pressure, and you're only gonna measure it when you have a high peak pressure, you're gonna get these two broad categories, a high peak and a, high, and a low plateau or normal plateau, or a high peak and a high plateau pressure. So like I said earlier, if you have the high peak and the low or normal plateau, it's a resistance problem. The flow there going through the ET tube down through the trachea into the bronchi. So what can cause a resistance problem? Mucus plugging, bronchospasm, biting down on the ET tube, a obstruction of the ET tube. If it's gonna be a compliance problem, what are gonna be some classic examples? ARDS you know, pulmonary edema, pneumothorax, tension pneumothorax, intubating in the right main stem, really huge bilateral pleural fusions, abdominal compartment syndrome, secondary to some really bad necrotizing pancreatitis. All those things will give you a high peak and high plateau. It's gonna be a compliance problem in the lung. With those things being said, let's do some questions that I guarantee will be on your boards. We have a 58-year-old woman is emergently intubated for severe COPD. Hmm. So you know, severe COPD, that FEV1's gotta be low, you know? And um, and is waiting a post-intubation chest X-ray. Current ventilator settings are an FIO 250%, tidal volumes of 500, a mandatory breath rate of 16, and a PEEP of eight. Suddenly, she becomes hypotensive and the blood pressure is 60 over 40 and the uh, ventilator alarms are going off indicating very high airway pressures. So what do you do? You transiently disconnect from the ventilator. You probably gave a couple of brands, you know, but you disconnect the patient from the ventilator, but the blood pressure does not improve. Hmm. So the monitored values obtained 
before and during this episode are going to be shown. So, you know, right when the patient was intubated, blood pressure was in the hot, was 140 over 90, PO2 was 74, PaCO2 is 46, probably from her COPD, pH is 7.42, peak pressures are elevated, and the plateaus are mm, right on the borderline of being elevated. So during the episode, blood pressure definitely drops, the PO2 gets worse, the CO2 slightly goes up, the pH is dropping, uh, and the peak pressures are immensely high and the plateaus are immensely high too. So what is going on here? Which of the following interventions will most likely reverse this patient's hypotension? So let's just kind of walk through this together, everyone. So what about IV fluids? Is that gonna reverse the hypotension? Well, it's always good, you know, you're always taught in critical care when the blood pressure's low, why not a bolus, you know? But if it truly is a hemodynamic problem, would a someone being a little bit on the drier side cause the O2 to worsen, cause the CO2 to go up, cause the peak pressures and plateau to go up? The answer is probably not. Now, optimizing sedation, you know, is optimizing sedation gonna kind of result in, in, in those kind of values where we're talking about, you know, the, the, the CO2 going worse, the O2 going down, the peak and plateaus. I mean, maybe, but not commonly, that really wouldn't, you know, be indicative of that. You know, it really comes down to these two. I mean, B and C, and what does B say? reducing the respiratory rate. Now, why would I want to reduce that respiratory rate? Well, why did they mention as one of the answers? Well, the minute I hear COPD and I think about these patients really needing a long time just to blow off, you know, the expiratory flow, if you don't give them enough time to on expiration, they can start developing something called what? Yeah, auto-peep. And can auto-peep drop the blood pressure? It can definitely do that. Can it give you some of these values with worsening O2 and increasing CO2? It could, but you know what really goes away with that being the right answer is want. You know, if they were auto peeping and, and you did the right thing, which is you disconnect them from the vent because in the vent they're getting breath after breath after breath. Well, once you disconnect them from the vent, what technically in theory should happen to that blood pressure? Yeah, man, it, it really should go up. And because the patient didn't respond to that, it probably takes away from auto-peep. So decreasing the respiratory rate is the tr one of the many things you could do for auto-peep. I don't think that's going to really solve the problem. You know, having a high peak and a high plateau pressure, what am I really worried about here is going to be, you know, does this patient develop a what? Yeah, a pneumothorax of some kind. So even though auto-peep can give you high peak and high plateaus, you know, a pneumothorax, high peak and high plateaus, it really was that disconnecting from the vent. You know, that really told me that, uh-oh, there's really probably going to be a pneumothorax here and I should get that evaluated. So the answer is going to be what? C. So I put into words really about the two main differential in this question, which is going to be dynamic hyperinflation from that possible auto peep. And how do I differentiate that from possibly a pneumothorax? So I love this diagram I put over here that, you know, when you're in a volume AC mode, you're definitely gonna get the peak inspiratory pressure. And when you have a high peak inspiratory pressure, well, how do I work it up? So if it's a high peak inspiratory pressure, next thing I'm gonna do is check a plateau pressure. If there's no change in the plateau, we talked about a resistance problem. If it's increased, more of a compliance problem. 
But if the peak inspiratory pressure in general is, you know, actually low and the patient is not doing well, maybe the patient has an air leak, it's possible. Or if the patient's not doing well, but the peak inspiratory pressure hasn't changed and maybe the O2 is getting worse, maybe it's a problem outside the lung. Maybe there's a pulmonary embolism. So I thought this would be a nice diagram to look at once again of how do we use peak inspiratory pressures and when do we want to check that plateau pressure. So in this case, you know, the answer was put in the chest tube. And of course, we always worry about a pneumothorax. And if you're on positive pressure ventilation, a tension pneumothorax. And what I put here is that if I do suspect a pneumothorax, one thing you can do um, at the bedside is ultrasound. And I don't know if anyone got a chance to watch my ultrasound video I did for the past machine. I mean, this is going to be one of the classic things we go over, which is how do we evaluate a pneumothorax? And not to get too off topic, what am I looking at here? This is the classic back wing sign. You get the echogenic shadow from the bones. This hyperechoic line is the pleura. And notice that I don't see the pleura sliding. I don't see any sliding lung. I don't see any ants on the string. So there's no sliding lung over here. So this is probably in the right clinical setting indicative of what? A pneumothorax. Good. So let's do another question together. So in managing a mechanically ventilated patient with ARDS, you wish to measure the plateau pressure at the end of what? Inspiration. What do I have below <clears throat> is I have flow, pressure, and volume tracings uh, of four different controlled breaths. There's no patient activity. Which breaths allow for measurement of a plateau pressure? A plateau pressure. So when I look at A, I can tell this is classic what? PAC mode. How do I know that? Look at pressure. It's a straight line up. Look at volume over here. It's more of it. It's going to be more curved. This is a PAC once again over. How do I know that? It's going to be a straight line up on the pressure tracing. While these are going to be more of a volume mode. How do I know? Look at the pressure tracing. It's more curved over here. This one's more angled, if anything. And which one of these letters would I be able to measure a plateau pressure? And it gave you many choices over here, A and B, B and C, C and D, or all of them. And this, I put this question here because it's a fair game for the critical care boards and to really pound home the point that if you want to measure a plateau pressure, you can definitely do it in both a PAC mode and a VAC mode. The key thing is you've got to have a no flow state. And which of these letters shows no flow? Well, let's look at the flow diagram over here. I see no flow in letter B. Look at that right here. And no flow in letter C. So because there's no flow over here, you definitely can check a what? A plateau pressure at the end of what? Inspiration. Correct answer is going to be what? B is in boy. All right. Let's see how we're doing with these peak and plateau pressures, everyone. We have a 60-year-old man is on mechanical ventilation. What would be more likely to decrease the airway pressure? So what do we have up here? We have a volume control mode. How do I know that? Look at this. It's curved up here on the pressure tracing. This is a nice wave flow waveform over here. And what do they measure over here? They measure the plateau pressure. How do I know? Look at flow. There's going to be a no flow state right here. And this kind of correlates up here when you look at the pressure tracing of measuring this plateau pressures. Here's the peak inspiratory pressure. Here is the plateau pressure. So based upon what you see, it seems like there's gonna be a what? A resistance problem or a compliance problem? 
when you have a high peak in a kind of normal to low plateau, it's going to be a resistance problem. So what seems to be the right answer over here? Is it going to be give some diuretics because you have pulmonary edema? No, that gives you a high plateau. Is it going to be giving some pulmonary dilators? No, not at all, because this problem is not going to be in the pulmonary artery because that really wouldn't be witnessed here in having a high peak pressure. Is it going to be prone position? No, that's not really going to change this high peak pressure. Is it going to be a neuromuscular blocking agent? It doesn't really indicate that this patient's going to be having problem with a bucking the ventilator or having dysynchrony. Well, this sounds like of the choices given here, what's going to be a resistance problem in the airway that's going to be kind of addressing it? It's going to be giving, giving bronchodilators, giving a beta-2 agonist, giving an anticholinergic, such as ipatropium. So the answer here is going to be what? D as in dog, based upon the high peak and the kind of low to normal plateau. And I put this here because this is exactly how they're going to ask you the questions on the critical care boards with the concepts that we went over together. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.